we're in chapter 3. We did take a break as we were going over our theme this year, fighting the good fight in the church, which is in Timothy. And we've come to chapter 3 where it's going to talk about elders in the church, and it's going to give a host of qualifications. And as I'm speaking, let's, let's let the uh, children... Let's let the children go ahead and excuse themselves. So we wanted to take a couple of weeks just to explain a little bit about elders in the church and in particular, elder rule. That's not only what we believe here, but this is what we believe because we believe it's in the Bible, and this is how, as a Bible church, we want to govern everything. The Lord Jesus Christ said in Matthew chapter 16, 18, I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. So when you think of the church, it's not the elders' church, it is the Lord Jesus Christ's church. He's the builder. Because he said, I will build. And it's not the elder's church, but it's his church because he said, I will build my church. And what is the church when you think about it? What is it that he's building? What, what is the church? Certainly not a building. The church is made up of those who have placed their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and his death in the cross for their sins They've received forgiveness and they have a relationship with Christ and with the Father because of what Christ did. And all those who trust Christ as their Savior are part of Christ's body, which is the church. But as we're talking about building a church, we do need to get a little practical because that's what 1 Timothy chapter 3 does. We're talking about church polity or church organization or, and I know it's going to sound like an oxymoron, but church government, what is the structure? And every church has a type of church government. But we believe that the Bible talks about elder rule, and we're going to explain that today. Christ's master plan for his church is a plurality of elders instead of one man having all the authority. The authority over the church is Christ's as the chief shepherd. The elders are under shepherds who tend the flock spiritually and carry out Christ's will for the church. And so this series, and this will be the last one, it's the biblical perspective on elder rule. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for your word so that it guides us in doctrine and theology, but even in very practical matters, even in necessary matters as we talk about organization and we talk about government, our own government here. Father, we, we ask now in this church government that it would be biblical, it would be by a plurality of elders, and these elders would be spiritual men, and we would seek your will and seek to lead the church in a way that is pleasing to you, your church. And Father, we'll thank you as you teach us today. In Jesus' name, amen. So as we take a look at this, uh, we went through part of this last week. Uh, we didn't finish it, so we're going to finish it this week. And it, and it is important. It's important that we know why we do what we do. Typically, the sermons here are expository. We usually go through verse by verse. Uh, but this is more of a uh, systematic study, if you will, of the biblical perspective. <clears throat> now, last week, just quickly, we talked about the different types of church government. And some of them you'll clearly see are wrong, like the state-led church, where a state will dictate what the religion will be and what everyone must do. We see that uh, actually more in foreign countries, 
but that's the way it is. And so um, you have a lot of problems there. We're supposed to have church separate from state. And you think about church discipline. I mean, the state is never to discipline uh, uh, church people for anything. The next one is a denominational-led church. And I'm not saying denominations are bad, but these are particular if, if it's a hierarchical denomination where they have one man who is in charge and then underneath him are certain men. But in some of these hierarchical governments, church governments, it's the idea of everything that he says is perfect, is the will of God. And, and of course, that gets into very unbiblical things. Now, the next one is a popular one and not necessarily a bad thing, but it's congregational-led. So, and, and I remember first becoming a Christian, this, this seemed, you know, common sense. Everybody in the congregation decides the direction of the church, okay? The problem with that is, is if you have people coming in, they become members, you don't always know where they're coming from, they may have ideas that end up getting voted on taking the church in a different direction. I might even say you might, you might at times have carnal individuals. I'm not saying that people who are in the congregation are carnal. Um, I was in the congregation myself before I became a pastor. And that is not to say that elders or pastors cannot be carnal, but they are voted in by the congregation and they can be not voted in. But yeah, it's true, you can have carnality. You know, Mike, Terrell, one of the elders, asked me for a pen this morning and I hesitated to give it to him because it was my favorite pen. And after making him swear that he was gonna return and he returned it, it, I guess I was convicted by the Holy Spirit. I thought, how carnal is your pastor? But I have one way out. I wasn't as bad as Jerry Brosey when it came to pens because not only would he not lend out his pen, but he would steal yours as well. Well, we come to the elder rule then, and this is the idea where the congregation gives the authority of the church to the, a plurality of elders, they voted them in, they deemed them to be spiritual men, trustworthy to lead them in a spiritual way. Now, is that to say, though, that the church, the congregation, has no dealings in any of this? No, not at all. We find out from a number of scriptures that the church also is involved. And so how it works here is there are a number of things that the elders decide on, and if they're very important, like expenditures, great expenditures of money or things like that, we, we ask for a confirmation vote from the congregation. We want to make sure this is, you know, uh, going in the right direction. But let me just have you turn to one scripture, Acts chapter 15. And, and here's just one scripture where we see not only are the apostles and the elders involved in doing something, but we also see the congregation. So again, uh, it's kind of a blend, if you will, but biblical because this is, as you'll see, what the scriptures teach. Acts 15, 22, then it seemed good to the apostles and the elders with the whole church to choose men from among them to send to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas, Judas called Barsabbas and Silas, leading men among the brethren. So you not only see the elders there, but you see the whole church and it choosing the men. And this could give us the background of why it is that we have a congregational uh, confirmation vote on elders that we think would be good and we want to make sure that you think so as well. So let me... Let me put it all together and read a quote. I did read this last week, but I, it, it bears being repeated. The church and the Roman government were separate. The early church, they were separate. There was no national church or state church in the New Testament times of Christianity. The hierarchical church 
was a post-biblical development. So that whole idea came up later. The early church did have a governmental structure. Local churches, though they fellowshiped and cooperated with each other, were not organizationally linked together like a denomination. The congregation was involved in some matters. Leaders did take the reins in other matters. The New Testament picture seems to include a blend of congregational and elder-ruled government limited to the local church, Charles Ryrie. I just thought that was very, very good. Well, we also talked about elder rule, and we're really at the end of that, but I didn't cover everything, and I'd like to um, pick up where I left off and maybe even make a few other comments. So when we're thinking about elders and elder rule, let's explain that a little bit. First of all, what is the purpose of the office? The purpose of their office should be first and foremost spiritual. After all, we're about to go into the qualifications and they are spiritual qualifications. It's not necessarily an older man or someone who's a CEO or a bank president. That's not who you put in looking at those credentials. You put in someone who is spiritual. And that's what the New Testament difference is between that and the Old Testament when the elders were graybeards. So it is nice to have someone with both of those qualities. But anyway, uh, not even age uh, is a deterrent. Timothy, as we know, is a pastor of a church uh, there in Ephesus. Paul writes to him, Let no one look down on your youthfulness, but rather in speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity, show yourself an example of those who believe. So when we talk about the office of an elder, it's, it, the first and foremost qualification is spiritual. And we'll be spending some weeks going through those qualifications. The function of an elder. What's the function? Well, he's called an overseer in Scripture. Episkopos is the Greek word. Uh, Epi means over and skopos means to look at. Or men, you know about a scope, a scope on your rifle. It's to view. Well, the elder um, is to oversee things in the church, make sure things are going biblically and in a right way that would be in line with Christ's will. What about the ministry of elders? And you'll hear hear me talk about it here, and then I, I will be talking again about some other ministries as well. But the main ministry, the way to describe the ministry of an elder and the pastor is way, and by the way, the pastor is just one of the elders in this structure, okay? So he doesn't rule and the elders are underneath him. He's one of the elders. His vote counts just one vote. The word shepherd is poimano in the, in the Greek, and It means like a literal shepherd to tend and feed the sheep. And we'll see that in just a moment. Jesus especially wants his under shepherds to feed the sheep spiritually with the word of God. But it also means to govern, to lead, guide, and direct. Now, I do want to talk about this ministry of spiritual shepherding. And I know I... I, Spent a little time on it last week, but it really does bear repeating. We could go to the book of Acts, and you don't have to turn there, but in Acts chapter 6, verse 4, we have the apostles who are saying, yes, we need to elect some other men that they can take care of some of these other tasks so that we ourselves can devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. That's the description. That's the job description. Yes, there is more, more, and it's important. But this is this idea of shepherding. This is the first and foremost priority. Now, if you would, 
Turn with me to John chapter 21. John chapter 21. A little bit of review, but some review is, is just so good. In John chapter 21, beginning in verse 15, we have Jesus asking Peter, Peter, do you love me? And he asked Peter that three times. It is most likely in recognition that Peter denied him three times. So this is after that. Peter denied him three times. And this, this is a teaching lesson, but there's an, an important lesson that we learn. So verse 15, John chapter 21. So when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Now, he was either talking about the food, the fish, or meaning the other apostles, or it could generally be about anything else. Do you love me more than anything else? But very likely he's talking about the other uh, apostles there. And he said to him, this is Peter, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, tend my lambs. Now, point number one, this is Jesus recovering and encouraging the apostle Peter who had failed when he denied the Lord three times. So Peter's probably wondering, am I even involved in the ministry that you have for us? And the answer is yes. But what was the ministry that he gave him? What is the ministry of the shepherds? Tend my lambs. And the word for tend doesn't just mean lead them and guide them, but it would mean lead them and guide them to feed on good food. Or in other words, teach them the word of God. We see that in Acts. They put it into practice. They said, we're getting so busy here, we need other gentlemen to take care of these tasks so we can get back to what Jesus said we should do. Tend the lambs, feed my sheep. Verse 16. He said to him again a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, shepherd my sheep. So there's the word shepherd and shepherding. And again, it is oversight, but it's with an emphasis in this passage of teaching the word of God, bringing up the body, bringing up the flock spiritually. Look at verse 17. <clears throat> verse 17 says, he said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. First it was feed my lambs, and now it's feed my sheep. This is the ministry that you're called to, Peter, that the apostles are called to. Now, I know we're talking about apostles here, but we're going to see that even Peter the apostle considers himself an elder in the church. And so it's very easy by implication to say this is what elders should be about since they are shepherds themselves. And it's feeding the, the, the flock with the word of God. We are growing on it. And by the way, that is how you grow. In John 17, 17, Jesus praying to the Father, he said, Father, sanctify them in the truth. Sanctify means to build them up spiritually. Well, what's the truth? Jesus then said, your word is truth. So for myself as a pastor slash elder and the other elders, we see that our commission is to sanctify, to build up the body through the word of God. Secondly, it is to guard against false teaching. And we look at the New Testament and in many 
the majority of the books in the New Testament, there's always something about false teaching. Watch out for certain individuals. Watch out for certain types of teaching. So we always have to be in our guard. And the verses that were read this morning, Acts 20, 17, says that when Paul wanted to talk to the church, he asked for the elders, the elders only. He didn't call the whole church because he would give his instruction to the elders who were the spiritual leaders. They would go back and implement it. We come to chapter 20. This is Acts chapter 20, if you'd like to turn there. Acts chapter 20, verse 28. And I, I love these passages. It's just full of everything that we're talking about. First of all, false teaching. He says, be on guard. So he's talking to these elders. Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock. Be on guard for your spiritual lives. And as we're going to see, it also has implication of false teaching coming in. So he says, be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. So we're talking about the Holy Spirit on Sunday mornings, and we even see him involved in leadership. He has made them overseers to do what? To shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. So their ministry is to shepherd. And shepherd primarily means lead and teach the word of God. Lead them spiritually. And then, verse 29, I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. What's he talking about there? False teaching. So this idea of shepherding the flock has a lot to do with teaching the word, teaching doctrine, teaching practice, and then being careful that false teaching doesn't come in. Now, the third thing that I want to talk about, which I didn't get to mention last week, was ministry of being a spiritual shepherd means leading them spiritually. So, not just in teaching the word of God, but in everything that's done in the church ought to be done spiritually. That's one of the reasons why when we have um, either a men's or a woman's ministry or, or an event, if it's sponsored by the church, there always needs to be a devotional there. We're not a social club. We, we, we're distinct. We're distinct, and this is our distinction. So there always has to be a devotional there. That, that is one of our distinctions. But I'd like you to turn to 1 Peter chapter 5. I'm going to start with verse 2. Peter is talking to the elders, and this is what he tells them. Shepherd the flock of God among you. Peter knows what that is because Peter was taught that by Jesus. But he also talks about character qualities. So when we're talking about elder rule, when we're talking about shepherding, we're not talking about men that are in the position of being domineering. Okay, we're not talking about being tyrants. So take, if you can, take that view out of your mind. Here's the view that Peter says. Shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, meaning, oh man, you mean I've got to do that? But voluntarily, in other words, of the heart, according to the will of God. So that's what we're doing, according to the will of God. It's his church and not for sordid gain. There's a reference there to finances. So we're, we're not in it to make money. We're not in it to make money. So we want to just say that when we talk about the gospel hour, we don't mean the gospel half hour because the other half hour is talking about giving, okay? But with eagerness, this is a spiritual and a worthy thing. And then he says, verse 3, Yet 
not as lording it over those who who are allotted to your charge. In other words, we're not lording it over. We're not any better, you know. And as I said before, you see these qualifications, and we shouldn't say, well, I don't have those qualifications. I don't need those qualifications. I'm not an elder. Well, no, we should have these qualifications. But it doesn't mean that we're better. Um, we're, We're not to lord it over. And then it says, but proving to be examples to the flock. The truth of the matter is, which we will discuss before this day is over, we will discuss that this idea of shepherding is not being, uh, you know, dominant, domineering, ruling, we're something and you're not. It, it's the idea of actually servant leadership. It's leadership, spiritual leadership, but servant leadership. It is the idea we serve the Lord Jesus Christ and we try to lead the church in a way that we believe biblically is his will and we serve you. How? We serve you by trying to build you up spiritually. We are in service of your spiritual life to help you. And by the way, it is reciprocal. Is it not? I mean, talking to the other elders, I mean, do we not hear from other people and they're loving the word and they're sharing what God is doing in their life and we're like, wow, this is cool. Um, The other thing is too, is when someone becomes a member, they have to read our constitution, then they fill out their application of, of how they came to Christ and then we meet with them upstairs. And I, I hope it's not a scary thing because for us as elders, we're excited about it. We're not only excited that they're becoming part of the work here, but we get to hear their testimony of how they came to Christ. That's what it's about. It's about, you know, the work is leading people to Christ and seeing people grow. And people come in and they know Christ and they they like the doctrinal statement and what's going on here and they want to be part of the church and they tell us how They came to Christ, and it's always exciting. We love that. We love the work of the Lord, uh, bringing people to Christ. So we we lead them spiritually. We're a spiritual example for them. And again, I use the word under-shepherd because I've heard that before, read that before. It's the idea is that the great shepherd is the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the shepherd. He's the great shepherd, We are little shepherds, under shepherds, servant shepherds. And just a couple of scriptures that call Christ the great shepherd. Let's let's, uh, turn to Hebrews 13.20. Hebrews 13.20 reads, Now the God of peace who brought up from the dead the great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the eternal covenant, even Jesus our Lord. By the way, do you see how when we turn to the scriptures, um, both in the book of Acts when he said, the Holy Spirit has made you overseers um, of the church which Christ shed his blood for. Here, it's talking about through the blood of the eternal covenant. The, the, the whole backbone of the church is the person and work of Christ. The person that he is, the second person of the Godhead. The work The main work that he was sent to do was to die on the cross for our sins. Had he not done that, there would be no chance of salvation for any of us. This is the great work. And the the gospel is simply that we're all sinners and we're not all destined for heaven. As long as we have not received Christ, we are going to receive punishment for our sin. But God so loved the world that he gave his son on the cross to die in our place for our sins, past, present, future, that whosoever believeth in him, whosoever takes him as their savior. Lord, I believe you died on the cross for me, a sinner. I trust you as my savior. I trust you for forgiveness and eternal life. Shall not perish, but have eternal life. This is the crux of it. That's why he is the great shepherd, and we're just under shepherds. Quickly, 
First Peter, don't turn there, 2.25, for you were continually straying like sheep, but now you have returned to the shepherd and guardian of your souls. And we see this in various other... So the ministry of elders is shepherding, under-shepherding, under Christ who is the great shepherd. We're doing it spiritually to feed the word of God, guard from false teaching. We're there to lead and build up the congregation and we're to be examples. And believe me, that frightens us. We, we, you know, we struggle just as much as you do. We need to be examples and, and by the power of the Holy Spirit, we can be. So this is the minute, this is what we mean when we talk about elder rule. This is the, the main idea. Now, I want to mention one other thing, and, and you heard me say it in the very beginning, and that is that the pastor is an elder. Okay, so it's not the pastor, and then underneath him are all of these elders. It, it, it's it's a, simp, uh, a different ministry, perhaps a more clarified ministry, but the office is just one of the elders. And I think that's the way it should be. Lest you get someone who is, you know, wants to just run their own agendas, and maybe at times it is carnal, self-satisfying, self-elevating, um, all of those. You don't want that. That's, that's why there are some types of governments, that church governments, that you don't want to see. You don't even want to tempt the pastor who's in that position. Turn with me, if you would, though, to 1 Peter chapter 5. Let's look at verse 1, the, the verse that I skipped over, because I think this is very, very telling. So 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 1. This is an apostle who's writing to the church. Notice what he calls himself. Therefore, I exalt the elders among you. He's writing to the elders. They're the ones who are going to take the spiritual, the spiritual truths and teach them. He says, I exhort the elders among you as your fellow elder. Wow, why? He He's an apostle, which there's a sense in which the apostles would have more authority than the elders. But in the structure of the church, he calls himself just an elder. And uh, we, we see then that the, the, the ruling body, if you will, if I can call it that, is the elders. That's what's meant. And, and we're going to see that there needs to be a plurality of them, not just one, because that's not a plurality, but, you know, several. We're going to talk about that. And that's going to be what is shown in the New Testament, plurality of elders. You know, they're plural. Every time he talks about elders, or almost every time, it is in the plural. Now, the, the pastor would have a specific type of ministry, obviously. But if you would, let's turn to Ephesians chapter 4. I know we're turning to a lot of scriptures, but these are so crucial. I mean, if you have any questions of why we do elder rule here, if someone else questions you, why do you do elder rule? Here's the answer. Here's the answers. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11, and I'm going to read on. So here he says in the church, and he gave some as apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists and then some as pastors and teachers. And you can see where this was needed, especially in the early church. Are, are some of these going on today? Yes, there's evangelism, there's teachers, there's pastors, and but it, it this is because of the spiritual gifts that are given by the Holy Spirit. I want to point out the pastor there. So notice how he says there's some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists. And then he says some, not just pastors, but some as pastors and teachers. We only see one article for these two terms, meaning that the, the pastor is the t a teaching elder. 
perhaps the specific teaching elder. If you're a pastor, you need to be teaching, okay? You need to be teaching because of what we've looked at already, what Jesus said to Peter, you know, do you love me? And all of these things we're going to see even here in this passage. So, so I see myself, I see the biblical position of pastor as a pastor slash teacher, and that's out on our sign because we thought that that's biblical, but it could be pastor slash teacher slash elder. And I used to be one of the younger elders. Uh, not anymore, but I, I, I have good company, though. I have good company. They're, they're right, right behind. And I know even some of the younger ones, they're, you know, they're moving up as well. But in, in all seriousness, what now? We have these uh, gifts here, verse 12, for, for the purpose of the equipping of the saints, for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ. It's over and over. This is why I have such a passion for it, because every time you look in the scriptures, you see it. You see it again, and you see it again. And years after years after you look at this, it's like, it's no other way. It's no other way. You're building up the saints. You're equipping and preparing the saints for ministry. You're uh, building up the body of Christ spiritually. It says, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. We're trying to grow to the fullness of Christ. You're trying to grow in the fullness of Christ. And we're all together building one another up, and especially that is the elders' ministry. There's one other passage that I want to point out, and there is an expression in 1 Timothy, and we'll get to that when we go through 1 Timothy, but I'll just look at it now. Um, there are some who are considered ruling elders. Now, I don't believe this means, well, you know, he's number one, and then there's two, three, four, and five. No, we've already settled that. But if you would, turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 5, 17 through 18. 1 Timothy chapter 5, 17 through 18. It says this, the elders who rule well are to be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. I believe this lends itself to having a pastor in a church. Is the pastor the only one of the elders that teaches? No, but it does show uh, here, and I, and I very seldom like to talk about these things, um, you know, when it, when it says double honor. Double, double honor would mean not only honor in the position, but also, I believe, financially supported. Um, there is a, a real blessing in that. Um, there have been times as a pastor of the church, I've not only um, was the pastor, but I also had a part-time job. And I couldn't wait till the part-time job was over, not because I didn't like it, but because I always felt like I was behind the eight ball in ministry. And I just felt I couldn't wait till I could devote myself to it. That's what I think he's talking about. He says, for the scripture says, you shall not muzzle the ox while he is threshing. Hopefully that's figurative and not literal in my case. And then he says, the laborer is worthy of his wages. So, but again, you know, I understand this, and I understand that the churches will, will have that, and some churches have more than one pastor if they have a very, very large. But um, I, 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 under, I understand this, and, and it's, it's being taught to us from the scriptures. But I still am just an elder. I'm just an elder. I only have one vote, one voice. There's times when I wish that my voice you know, would go further in the meetings. And I'm glad that it doesn't, and I'm just jesting. But every elder has an opportunity to speak his voice in our elder meetings. And what I must say is, in our elder meetings, to, to this point, we have just virtually been unanimous in every decision. 
That doesn't mean that we immediately agree. If we don't agree, we, we table it and we go back and pray about it. And at some point, we believe the Lord's going to change our, all of our hearts to go in one direction. And virtually, that, that has happened the majority of the time. Um, I can't even think of an example when it did not. But um, so, so this, is, this is how it is with a pastor. A pastor should be just an elder. Now, I, I, I say that the pastor is just one of the elders. So that's assuming we should have a plurality of elders, a number of elders. The reason I say this is my first church that I had, um, they were under uh, a different kind of structure where I was the elder and the men underneath me were deacons. And it was the idea that I kind of ran the show and, and they kind of carried it out. But I, I didn't run it that way. I thought the biblical way is that we're all elders, even though they called themselves deacons, they were acting as elders. So we, we made decisions with everybody having an equal vote. Well, one writes this way when it comes to the plurality of elders. The clear New Testament pattern for church government is a plurality of elders. Much can be said for the benefits of leadership made up of a plurality of godly men. Their combined counsel and wisdom helps assure that decisions are not self-willed or self-serving to a single individual. In fact, one man leadership is characteristic of cults, not the church. That's from John MacArthur in his book that he wrote, The Master's Plan for the Church. Well, let's just quickly, in the time that we have, let's look at this idea of plurality. And almost any time you look it up, it's going to be plural elders. In fact, I have a bunch of the references there. Uh, you don't have to turn there. I'm not going to ask you to turn there to read that. But there are some that I would like to look at. So let's look at the plurality of elders in the book of Acts. That would be important. And also in some of the epistles. Now the first one that I want to look at is found in Acts chapter 14, verse 23. It's going to say that in each church, elders, plural, was appointed. It says, Acts chapter 14, verse 23, when they had appointed elders for them in every church, having prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord in whom they had believed. So, by the way, notice that the early church, under Paul's supervision as an apostle and with the other apostles, they went and when they established the church, people were converted, they, they appointed elders. Now, I, I know there's a little bit of um, some uh, need for clarity because most of the churches were in homes. Now, I will say this. There may have been, it may have been a very big church in a home, and there was a need for more elders, okay? So we see this fitting in that. The other thing would be, well, maybe there's a home church here in this city, and then a home church there in that city, but all together, it's one church, and these group of elders make up the leadership for the entire church. You know, uh, that's what we read, or what we read in Acts chapter um, 20. It was read this morning, verse 17. It says, from Miletus, Paul sent to Ephesus and called to him the elders of the church. Whether you're putting in there the home churches combined or big or whatever, this was the idea. In every city, there is elders, a plurality of them. Um, we also see this in Jerusalem. I'm not going to have you turn there. But in Jerusalem, in Acts chapter 15, by the way, Acts chapter 15 is when you have... Um, the Jerusalem Council, and they had to talk about whether Gentiles needed to be circumcised to be saved. Absolutely not. 
Salvation is by grace, and that was their conclusion. Well, when Paul and Barnabas had great dissension and debate with these individuals who said you had to be circumcised to be saved, the brethren determined that Paul and Barnabas and some others of them should go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and elders concerning the issue. So many times we think of the apostles only in the Jerusalem council, but there were also elders there. Now we only read about what the words of the apostles said, and they were all good. But we see plurality. Uh, Ephesians, as I read. How about Philippians? Don't turn there. Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, including the overseers, elders, and deacons. And so we go through this all in all and see it almost virtually in every passage. Peter, when he wrote that in in 1 Peter 5.1, I exhort the elders among you. If there was only one elder, he would have said, I exhort the elder. And then he said, I am one of your fellow elders. He was part of the plurality. Well, not every passage says the word elder, that's a plural, but it's not a problem. Just to say that shouldn't be a problem. In the majority of the texts, he's talking about the qualification of an elder. Now, it would stand for all elders, but what we would read in the scriptures, when he says, if, if someone... Well, let's just go to 1 Timothy 3. Let's just go to the very book that we're actually in. It says, it is a trustworthy statement, 1 Timothy 3.1. It is a trustworthy statement. If any man aspires to the office of overseer, elder, it is a fine work he desires to do. Well, of course that's going to be singular. That's going to be singular because he's saying, look, if there's anyone among you that, that thinks that he'd like to be an elder or wants to pursue that um, or is asked to be an elder, that's a, a fine work. That's a good thing. And then it goes in to the qualifications where he would say, an overseer then must be above reproach. And he goes on and on and on. But that term, therefore, overseer, is singular. Well, it, it really isn't hard to say, yeah, because he's talking about one elder. And then there's the time in 1 Timothy when he talks about um, someone bringing an accusation against an elder. Well, that's, that isn't a problem. God forbid that there should only be one elder at a time that is accused of something. There shouldn't be any time when an elder is accused of something. But you see, it's the context that he was talking about one elder and the qualification. But the rest of the time, it is all plural. Now, this may appear a little redundant, but... I want to talk about the duties of elder. I already talked about the ministry as shepherds, which is the first one in my list, uh, shepherding. And it is primarily the teaching of the word. But, it, but I want to look at this now in a more general way. It, it also is leading the congregation. And we're going to see some of the ways in which it's leading. You know, there's decisions to be made. Um, there's direction to go. There are times... Um, you know, certain directions we don't want to go. Um, not that the congregation doesn't have input. We'd be foolish not to listen, especially if someone has an expertise, say, in finances or something else. We, we would be foolish not to listen. But the idea here is it's oversight, overseeing. The duties, and I'm going to say it again, the duties would be didactic, which means teaching. Okay, so now we're moving a little farther in that. I've already made that point, made it well. But when we start to talk about the qualifications, it says an overseer then must be above reproach. 
the husband of one wife, temperate, prudent, respectable, hospitable, able to teach. So we'll talk about that, but I think the idea of able to teach, at least as Zodiades says, it's willing and ready, okay? may not be your favorite thing, but you're willing and ready. And I have asked the elders numerous times to keep a sermon in their pocket, that if something happens to me, we have a sermon that day by one of the spiritual leaders, and we go on. We, we see in Titus chapter 1, verse 9, when it's talking about the elders, it says, holding fast the faithful word, which is in accordance with the teaching, so that he will be able both to exhort in sound doctrine, there's teaching, and to refute those who contradict it. There's teaching as well. One other, because it's so important. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 7. Remember those who led you, who spoke the word of God to you, and considering the result of their conduct, imitate their faith. But notice, spoke the word of God. It would also refer to the category of officiating, of leading. That's not to say that we don't have, uh, we don't have other men coming up here and leading the music uh, or, or some, some of the women uh, teaching either children or ladies Bible study. Um, we, we see that, or men. It's not that they can't do it, but, but we're officiating over it, and we preside over it. Uh, we see that in Scripture, especially in that last verse. Remember those who led you, who lead you, who officiate. The word administrative comes to mind. There is a bit of administration. Not my favorite thing, but it is a thing, okay? And that's probably the way we all think about it. I mean... You know, my passion is to preach the word, and that's what I love to do. But you can't ignore that there must be administrative duties. And that's where I really appreciate the other elders. Uh, you know, they come in, and, and they also are a part of that administration. Uh, we, we read in, in so many different places of, uh, like, one of the qualifications. Here's one of the qualifications for an elder. But if a man does not know how to manage his own household, how will he take care of the church of God? So there's a management that, that must go on. And, um, you know, and sometimes it's hard. Sometimes with, with a lot of people, perhaps a lot of ideas, a lot of preferences, sometimes the elders have to make tough decisions and say, well, we're going to try to make the decision um, for the best of everybody. And, and inevitably at times there's someone who says, well, that, you know, you're not doing what I asked. You know, I, I remember. Um, I remember when I, I went to the church in Texas, and I was sitting there in my office, and, and a lady came in, and um, I was just there, pretty new, and she she kind of came in and gave me a list of everything that she wanted, and I gave the proper response, and I was gracious. I said, "Well, you know what? Those are those are good things. Um, I'll have to take it to the elder board, and and we'll have to talk about it." She said, you mean to tell me you're not going to do those things? I, well, I don't know whether we are or not. It depends on what the elder board is going to do. So, you know, that, that's the way it goes sometimes. And, and, and we try to make a decision that considers the entire body. Sometimes that administrative duty is a stewardship. Stewardship over money. And as I said, if it's a very, very large amount of money, we, we have even in our Constitution that there should be a confirmation vote, okay? And by the way, you are the ones who are contributing and giving it to the Lord. And when you designate a gift, sometimes it's just a general, and sometimes it's a designation. It's our stewardship to carry out that designation. That's, that's what you gave it for. That's what it must be for. Well, we, we talk about stewardship, and we, we see in Acts chapter 11 where they were collecting money to give to the, the, the church in Jerusalem, which was experiencing a famine. And it says, and in the proportion that any of the disciples had means, 
had finances, each of them determined to send the contribution for the relief of the brethren living in Judea. And this they did, sending it in charge of Barnabas and Saul to the elders. So that's another thing that we would handle, is we would handle the finances. Hence, it says in one of the qualifications, both in Timothy and Titus, must not be fond of sordid gain. It's not about making money. Now, that's not to say that we couldn't put some of our money in the church's money in CDs. And while we're waiting for the leading of the Lord, it, it is, you know, making some interest. So we're not against that. But what I mean is no get-rich schemes here. You know, we're not trying to make money. That's, that's, we're trying to save souls is what we're trying to do. It's about spiritual things. And so we see this with finances. And, and so that's why, as elders, we, we do keep tabs on things. So, I mean, it's, it's, it's not really where someone can just spend whatever they want at any time they want. We, it has to be run through the elders. And that's why. Because I'll tell you why. Because at, at the end of the year, or the beginning of the year, we have our business meeting. And we hand out finances of it. By the way, that, that's pretty great. I mean, you, you get to see what it was spent on. But there, there are times when someone in the congregation says, what was this spent on? Well, that's when there needs to be that stewardship. It was spent on thus and thus. It was brought to the elders and the elders were in agreement. And this is what they decided to do with it. So you, you see how important this administration is. Um, one final thing when it comes to elder rule and plurality of elders is we, the elders, must make at times decisions and judicial decisions. You know, it's very interesting as Paul writes to the church in Corinth, um, he talks about... Um, you know, don't take another believer to court. And that is a biblical principle. It may not be followed, but it is a biblical principle. And what's his reasoning? Does any one of you, when he has a case against his neighbor, dare to go to the law before the unrighteous and not before the saints? Or do you not know that the saints will judge the world? If the world is judged by you, are you not competent to constitute the smallest law courts? So at times, there can be even judicial decisions. There's certainly counseling. What if there's a problem with those decisions? What if there's a need of knowledge and teaching and discipleship? So that's there again, you see the deepening of the office of elder. Well, one final remark, and then... We'll make an application. <laughs> the final remark is uh, Ryrie, and the bottom of your notes, Ryrie writes in his uh, basic theology, um, elders are not responsible only for the spiritual welfare of the church, while deacons care for financial or maintenance matters, as is sometimes thought. Elders have the oversight of all facets of the work. I think he's being consistent there. One of the things I see this playing out is, we're, we're working on getting deacons and would be fine to have deacons, but it's not, okay, the elders are spiritual, but the deacons aren't, so they just do the maintenance. It could be, it could be that maybe we would even ask the elders to help out with visitation at some point. They are men of leadership. So basically what Ryrie is saying is that the elders are the the ruling body, and when it comes to the deacons, they're even over the deacons. No big deal on that. All right, let me close with this. So then, when we talk about elder rule, we're talking about under shepherds, not over shepherds. We are not to lord over the people. I think when it talks about shepherding, it could be defined as knowing where we are going spiritually and leading the flock to get there. And we lead by example. We're servant leaders. And what do I mean by that? Well, 
Jesus was the one who told us, it is not this way among you, but whoever wishes to be great among you shall be your servant. And whoever wishes to be first among you shall be your slave. And so he teaches servanthood. So our leadership is servanthood. And of course, the goal, the goal is spiritual growth. Let me read this quote. Christ never intended church leadership to be earned by seniority, purchased with money, or inherited through family ties. And that happens sometimes. He never compared church leaders to governing monarchs, but rather to humble shepherds, not to slick celebrities, but to laboring servants. Let's pray. Father, now that we've gone over your structure as elders, now we elders have a little bit of fear and trepidation as we see that we are to be examples. Help us to do that. We are to be under shepherds and make spiritual decisions in the direction that we go as a church. Oh God, give us that wisdom. And, and I ask the congregation, Lord, that they would pray for us. And Father, we are the ones who at times deal with problems and situations and issues. Give us the knowledge of the word of God to apply these things so that at the end, we all are built up to the fullness of Christ. And we'll thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen.